bridges. I want to show you a picture of a bridge. Does anybody know what the name of that bridge is? You know where that bridge is? That's the Mackinac Bridge. Okay? That's the Mackinac Bridge. That's a five-mile-long suspension bridge, the longest suspension bridge in this hemisphere. And uh, Sarah and I visited the Harbor Springs area in northern Michigan a few weeks ago. And then on one day, we took a day trip to Mackinac Island and we rode our bicycle around. And I don't have as much hair uh, as I thought. Uh, I, I thought you were going to fix that last service, but all right. Let's go on quickly. Um, so there, so, but the jewel of Mackinac Island is the Grand Hotel. That's a 600-foot-long porch. It's, it's phenomenal. And those of you who like movies will know that there was a movie filmed on Mackinac Island called Somewhere in Time. Do you remember that? Long time ago, some of you weren't born then. Okay, um, so Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour, pretty man, pretty lady, they fall in love, uh, but they're kind of in different time zones. He was in 1980, she was in 1912, so he has to go travel somewhere in time to find her. Is it you? They have this uh, romance, and just about the time when they're going to live happily ever after, he gets yanked back into 1980 in time for Ronald Reagan being elected president. Anyway, um, so, uh, but um, uh, uh, it didn't really do that well at the box office because the very same week it was released, the Blues Brothers was released. <laughs> And, you know, romantic, romantic movie that ends tragically versus Mission from God. That's a no-brainer in my book. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, the front porch was just phenomenal of the Grand Hotel. And, and, and we had dessert there called high tea. And it was just really swanky. <laughs> yeah, it was. And... Um, so then we left, and on our way back home, speaking of swanky, uh, we went to this swanky clothing store. So I guess after my surgery, my wife had said that, you know, your clothes are getting a little baggy. Let's do something about that. So we go into this swanky, high-end um, clothing store that was conveniently located in a factory outlet mall. <laughs> and, but it was swanky because the employees there we're not just cashiers, you know. Uh, they, they were kind of old school. They, they waited on you. And so, so Vinny waited on me. Vinny took care of me. Vinny uh, was professional. Vinny was kind. Vinny was courteous. And I used to work in retail clothing. And so you, there's this art between... You know, letting the clothes do the selling and you offer suggestions and then backing off and there's just this, this little dance that takes place. And Vinny was an artist. And so for the next 30 minutes or so, uh, I'm trying on some shirts and pants. And so I'll pick out my pants and I pick out my shirts. I got a couple of ties. And so I'm getting ready to pay for this. And I, so I make the comment. I said, Vinny, is this your full-time job? And he said, oh, no. Uh, I said, oh. I said, well, what's your full-time job? He said, well, I'm an architect. I'm studying architecture. 
I said, oh, and I paused, and then I asked him a question. Now, let me tell you about that pause for just a minute. It's about a two-second pause. Um, but so I asked Vinny the question, is this your full-time job? No, uh, my full-time job is an architect. Right when he said, I'm an architect, I'm studying architecture, uh, something inside the circuitry of my soul just kind of flickered, you know, like when the lights flicker in the morning. I don't know if your lights do this, and sometimes mine do. They just kind of flicker. It's kind of like a zzz. Zzz. That's, that's, that's what I experienced. And, and so I'm, and then I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, what? Now, what was that about? I know what that's about. I know what that's about. Vinny's kind. Vinny's professional. Vinny's courteous. Vinny's an artist. Vinny's an architect. Vinny is African-American. I'd never met an African-American architect before. And I'm thinking right there in that, whoa, my world. Okay, whoa, I have work to do. Uh, I, I thought I was beyond this stereotyping. I thought... I, I thought, I thought I was beyond that. I really did. I mean, because, you know, my resume is pretty good. You know, let me show you. So, like, my surgeon, you know, Chinese-American, my ophthalmologist, African, uh, my colleague in ministry, Indochina, Nepali. Um, uh, what's next? Uh, my uh, chaplain and life mentor since I was a junior in high school, uh, African-American. My wife is the only white person in her class at Parkland uh, teaching ESL. My family, I have an African-American daughter-in-law. And the crown jewel of all, Audrey. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, with the Apostle Paul, if anyone has confidence in the flesh, I have more. And on top of all that, I'm humble. So, all that's going on in two seconds. Two seconds. Oh, yes. Your mind is that quick. You've already made out your, you know where you're going to eat right now. You've already made that, you know, and so, so in that, so I asked the question uh, and a pause and, and, and he tells me he's in architect, architecture. And so you see, so there was a, I really, there was a time when I would have just kind of been ashamed of that or just dismissive of it. Just give me the, my pants. I'm going to go. But no, it's like, okay, this is a learning opportunity and leaders are learners so I'm going to press into this. I'm going to lean into this. And so I said, well, Vinny, how are you going to get your architecture license? Are you going to go to graduate school or are you going to go to an apprenticeship? And when I asked that question, he paused. Zzz. Oh, someone gets me. You got these two going on. <laughs> and he said, well, uh, you know, I'm going to go to graduate school. And I press in. I said, well, Vinny, what's your dream job? Tell me your dream job. He said, I would, his face is, I want to go to Italy to design residential housing. And I said, wow. I said, why Italy? And he said, because that's where my grandfather's from. <laughs> wow. Wow. So it's like, it, 
you know, African, Italian, American, Italian, African, American. Wow. I said, Vinny, I, this is good. I just came in to buy a pair of pants. I said, Vinny, I can feel it. This is going to happen. You know, God go with you, son. God be with you. And 23, 24 years old, and we shook hands. He handed me my pants and my shirt, and then I, I went on. And, you know, you, you never get so competent that you don't need lessons in competency. You don't. There's always places and situations that you think that you're walking into a retail place and God says, no, I'm going to turn that into a classroom. And I want to teach you something. And I just want to always be open to that teachability. And I would like for you all to be open to being taught wherever, wherever you are may not just be where you think. It may be something else, something bigger. And I want us in this series called Bridges to be open to what the Lord is going to teach us in terms of our relationships and our relationships between our cultures here that make up this church. And, and you know, it's great if you can take some of these lessons outside our church family I just want to talk about what's inside our church family. I want to talk about us. I want to talk about our need to be culturally competent. And I can't think of a better teacher than an old man, a rabbi, the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Philemon. The 25 verses and 335 words that make up Paul's letter to Philemon. And you'll find Philemon in your church Bibles. There are copies in the pouch in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you'll find Philemon on page 1000. And I want to read this beautiful letter from the Apostle Paul to a brother in Christ of his named Philemon. It's a personal letter, but it's not private. It's not a private letter, but it's a very personal letter. Before I read that, I want to tell you the backstory because you have to know the backstory to appreciate the story. And here's the backstory Paul wrote from prison in Rome asking Philemon to forgive and receive back his fugitive slave, Onesimus, who had stolen from him. You have to know that information in order for this to make sense. Paul wrote from prison in Rome asking Philemon to forgive and receive back his fugitive slave, Onesimus, who had stolen from him. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, that's probably his wife, our sister, and Archippus, that's probably their son, our fellow soldier, 
and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful. The name Onesimus means useful. Play on words. But now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Have you ever read such a letter that has this combination of truth and tact and diplomacy? I mean, just how much 
sweeter would our relationships with one another. My marriage would just go to the next level if I could just discipline myself on a daily basis to talk to Sarah the way Paul talks to Philemon. Why is this in the Bible? Why is this preserved for us? What is it that God is wanting to teach us through these verses about relationships, about being a bridge builder, about making amends, about giving grace, about what unity is really about. I mean, everything in this letter, from one perspective, just keeps us from the idea of unity. You couldn't find three more different cultures in this letter. There's the Apostle Paul, who is a Hebrew of ethnicity. He is a Roman citizen. He is a scholar. He's a rabbi. He was Christianity's most feared enemy at one time, and now is really Christianity's leading apostle, bringing Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. That's Paul. And then you have Philemon, who is this Greek, non-Hebrew, business owner, estate owner. Probably he came to Christ by the apostle Paul on one of his business trips to Ephesus, where Paul was lecturing in the hall of Tyrannus while Paul lived in Ephesus, and he came to the Lord. And now, in his estate, in his home, it's large enough to host a congregation of worship. That's Philemon, and he's a slave owner. What's a Christian doing owning slaves? I know, I know. Paul, Philemon, and then you have Onesimus, who is in the eyes of Rome at the, at the lowest social standing of all. Now, the Roman Empire was organized to keep these three groups segregated. The Roman Empire said, stay in your lane. The patricians and equestrians go here. The religious people go here. The slaves, well, you're way down at the bottom. Rome was structured. Rank must be preserved at all cost for the glory of the emperor. And yet, the apostle Paul and these verses speak of a supreme emperor, one by his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and being seated on high is the new true emperor over all that is seen and unseen. And concerning this emperor, the apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, that by his life, death, and resurrection, he has created one new man, a new race among the races, a new culture among the cultures, a, a new people among peoples 
They've gathered, not in their separate lanes, but as one family around the table, Jesus himself serving them as the supreme king. And and his people, now more than anything else, want the will of their king, not in the 75 minutes that make up a worship service once a week, but 24-7, moment by moment dependence on the true king and wanting his will. Theirs is a fervent unity based on a fierce yearning for Jesus and his will. And just what is that will? What is the will of God in Philemon? What is it that Paul is asking of Philemon in these verses? What's the ask? And the answer is in verse 17. Paul asks Philemon to treat Onesimus as if he were Paul himself. Verse 17, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Does Paul know what he's asking? Does he really know what he's asking? I mean, I mean, Onesimus, he stole from Philemon and then fled, so he's a fugitive. And Tradition tells us that he fled to Rome where he could be invisible. (laughs) Invisible in the invisibility of his status. And yet, somehow, in God's sovereign providence, Onesimus crossed paths with Paul while Paul was in Rome. And I have no idea how they met. I don't know. I don't know how they met. You know, I don't know if, I, if Onesimus was uh, you know, just kind of, you know, I don't know if he was shopping for a pair of pants. And, you know, next was this rented room and well, there's this apostle. I have no idea how he ran into him. But it was orchestrated by God. And Onesimus, Onesimus was this fugitive and by Roman law was facing crucifixion And Philemon had every legal right to nail Onesimus to a cross. So Onesimus is a wanted man. Onesimus met Paul, though, and nobody meets Paul without also meeting Jesus. And Jesus changed Onesimus' life. Paul, I can just... Imagine the conversation. Onesimus, you think your problem is that you are estranged from Philemon, your master, and your real problem is that you are estranged from the high master, the high king of the universe, and you need to make things right with him. There will never, ever be any horizontal peace between ourselves without their first being vertical peace with our creator and Jesus is that creator and Christ changed Onesimus's life and Onesimus committed himself to the service of the Lord that worked itself out in serving Paul's needs while Paul was in prison 
And so he helped Paul uh, while Paul was under house arrest, awaiting trial before the emperor of Rome. And, and one day, Paul says to Onesimus, son, son, you've got to go back. You've got to make amends. And I can't go with you, but I can send this with you. And he hands him this letter. And like the younger brother in the prodigal son, Onesimus shows up. He shows up and he hands, before you do anything to me, Philemon, read this. Read this. And Philemon reads the letter with Onesimus standing right there. <laughs> and verse 17 says, Receive him as you would receive me. Philemon, Paul says, how would you treat me if I were there right now? What would you do? What would Christian hospitality call for? Would you prepare me a meal? Would you offer a room? What would you do? Philemon, if you count me as your partner, if you count me as your associate, if we truly have a partnership in Christ, I ask you to receive him as you would receive me. Treat him as you would treat me. Talk to him as you would talk to me. Pray with him as you would pray with me. Philemon, you will refresh my heart if you receive him as you receive. I know he stole from you. I know. If he owes you, charge it to me. I will repay. He is my heart. I am sending my heart to you. If you feel like you've got to hang him on a cross, come for me. I'll take the cross for him. Now, who says that? Verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, meaning back then Paul would have dictated this letter to a scribe, but right at verse 19, Paul takes the pen from the scribe and says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. It's his signature. I will repay. I'll repay it. To say nothing of you owing me yourself. Philemon, I brought you to the Lord. And that makes you my son in the faith. And I, I brought Onesimus to the Lord. That makes him my son in the faith. And that makes the two of you brothers. And that's more important than anything else. And I don't want you to treat him according to your rights under Roman law. I want you to treat him according to the love of Christ Do you notice how love dominates this letter? Do you see that? Did we read by that too quickly? Verse 1, our beloved fellow worker. Verse 5, I hear of your love. Verse 7, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love. Verse 9, yet for love's sake. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, as a slave but as a beloved brother. This letter lives on gospel love, and it's the same word repeated five times. Agape love. And so when it comes to our relationships, if, when it comes to building bridges, when it comes to being all things to all people by all possible means, church family, let us make it clear. The love of Christ makes all the difference. The love of Christ makes all the difference. And it made all the difference between these three 
in this letter. You know, one thing that Philemon and Onesimus had in common concerning this letter is that they both would have at least initially responded with, you want me to do what? Starting with Philemon, you want me to do what? Do you know how much he cost me? What do you think the other slaves are going to say if I take him back? What about my reputation? What, what about my family? What will people say? Paul is challenging Philemon to consider his citizenship to Christ as more than any of his earthly rights. Why? Because the love of Christ makes all the difference. The love of Christ makes all the difference. And what about Onesimus? You want me to do what? <laughs> He's been told to go back and make things right. Are you, are you kidding me? Seriously? Make things right with what? I have nothing. It's gone. From a worldly perspective, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. You are asking me to put my life in the hands of another man's faith. He doesn't know what Philemon's going to do. He doesn't necessarily know the contents of the letter. It would have been rolled up and sealed. <laughs> Why should he go back? Because the love of Christ makes all the difference. And then there's Paul. There's Paul. Oh, yeah. Why should Paul care about Onesimus anyway? Why should he care about someone who's at the lowest in society. And, and, and those of you who lead people, you, this might resonate with you. You know, Paul was in prison, but that doesn't mean he was twiddling his thumbs. You know, according to Acts 28, he was under house arrest and chained to a Roman guard uh, but he could still receive people in the rented house, and he had to supply the rent. That's how the system worked back then. And for two years, the Apostle Paul is receiving people, sharing the gospel. He's writing letters. We, we don't have all the letters Paul wrote. We don't. He's busy sending his representatives to local churches. He's sending Timothy here, Titus there. He's, you know, mending relationships. He's fielding doctrinal questions. He's uncertain about his own fate. He doesn't know what's going to happen concerning his own trial before Caesar. And, and then he has to stop with all of those concerns and deal with Onesimus and Philemon, you know? When, with those of you who are bosses and your employee meets with you and, and, and they come to you with their particular issue, they think that's the most important issue. And they have no idea that you've got about six to 12 other things floating around in your mind that they can't possibly know or possibly appreciate, nor should they know because it would be inappropriate for them to know. They say they don't know that. They just know that, that they're one thing and you got a dozen other things and you stop because you are a servant leader and you deal with that issue as if it's the most important issue. And that's what Paul is doing here. He clears the deck. He stops amidst all of these concerns and he becomes a peacemaker and a bridge builder to bring these two together. And do you know why he does that? Because the love of Christ makes all the difference. Gospel love dominates this letter, church family. 
Now, what do I mean by gospel love? This is what I mean by gospel love. Love is voluntarily sacrificing myself for your good without demanding your worth or payback. That's what I mean. Love is voluntarily sacrificing myself for your good without demanding your worth or your payback. Love, love is voluntary. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. The decisions and words and actions of love always grow in the soil of a willing heart. You can't force someone to love. If you're forcing someone to love by the very nature of the act, you're demonstrating that this person doesn't, in fact, love. Love is voluntary. Love is voluntarily sacrificing myself. There is no such thing as love without sacrifice. Love calls you beyond the borders of your own wants and your own needs and your own feelings. Love calls you to be willing to invest time and energy and money and resources and personal ability and gifts. Love calls you to serve. Love calls you to wait. Love calls you to give. Love calls you to suffer. Love calls you to forgive and do all of these things again and again and again and again. Love always requires personal sacrifice. Love is voluntarily sacrificing myself for your good for your good. Love is motivated by the interests and needs of others. Love feels poor when the loved one is poor. Love hurts when the loved one hurts. When a brother or sister in Christ feels threatened by their culture, love isn't dismissive or indifferent. Love presses in and love says, tell me more. I want to know. Because love always has the good of another in view, always. Love is voluntarily sacrificing myself for your good without demanding your worth or payback. You see, love does its best work when the person, when the other person is undeserving. You see, that it's in these moments that love is needed most. Christ was willing to go to the cross and carry our sins precisely because there was nothing we could ever do to earn, achieve, or deserve the love of God. If you're only interested in loving people who are deserving, then the fact of the matter is you're not motivated by love for others, but love for yourself. Because if Jesus had waited until we were able to repay, there would be no hope. Because love is not a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back bargain. Love isn't about placing people in our debt and then waiting for them to pay off their debts. Love is not a negotiation for mutual good. Real love isn't motivated by the return on investment. Real love is motivated by the good that will result in the life of the person being loved. That's love. That's Christian love. That's gospel love. That's why we gather here. Love is voluntarily self-sacrificing myself for your good without demanding your worth or payback. That's Jesus' love. Now, church, there is never a day in our life when we're not called to be willing. And there's never a day in our life when we're not called toward personal sacrifice. And there's never a day when we are free from the need to consider the good of others. And there's never a day when we're not called to do what is not reciprocated and to offer what is not deserved. But the love of Christ makes all the difference when we love the way Christ loves. You know, it dawned on me this week, and, and frankly, I kind of got to the state of worry 
in my spirit about this entire series, you know, and how some might respond to this. Like, great pastor. I work at a job where I got diversity training all, all year long. I'm tired of it. It doesn't work. And now I come to church. I hear the same thing. Give me a break. Well, you know, this is about loving every person that God has made. Jew or Greek, black or white, Asian or Latino, Native American, we are made in God's image. And yes, while in many cases, diversity training may not work because the most important person who can make the difference has been disinvited from the table. And information from a notebook doesn't transform hearts. A resurrected king transforms hearts. And that's what we have to offer here. And some might say, well, this type of selfless love you're talking about, I can't do that. I don't have it. And you know what? You're right. You don't. You can't. But God can. God can. Don't you see? Christianity is more than sin management. Christianity is more than God erasing your sins. Christianity is the life of Christ working in and through your life so that he can do what you are powerless to do. Grace is God acting in our life to do what we can't do on our own. Philemon, I'm not asking you to do this. I'm asking you to step aside so that Christ can love your brother who is of another culture, another social class, another race through you. That's what I'm asking. Receive him as you would receive me. Treat him as if you would treat Jesus for the sake of love, because love makes all the difference. Now, church family, what if we were willing to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others? What if we did not require people to be worthy of our love? What if we did not demand payback? Paul sent Onesimus back, trusting that Philemon would welcome him, not as a runaway slave, but as a beloved brother, sending him back to a safe place. Can we be that safe place? Can we be a place for spiritual growth? Can we be a place committed to, to sharpening more of the spirit-given skills? What's in it for us is the fame of Christ. And what's in it for us are more and more people around Christ's table and in his kingdom. And that is so beautiful. As C.S. Lewis once said, the more we share the heavenly bread, the more we all shall have. Next week, we're going to focus on Onesimus and the, and the importance of making amends in our relationships. 
And then we're going to consider Philemon the week after and the significance of giving grace. And then finally, we'll look to the Apostle Paul and this ministry of reconciliation. And really, that's where God is pushing us to. He's pushing us to be a church, a kingdom of priests. And the word priest comes from the word bridge, that God might use us so that others would know him as we are an example of what Christ-centered unity and love are all about. So I've got two homework assignments. Homework assignment number one, as you leave the glass doors on the table, just on the other side of the glass doors, are little family life cards. And these are for parents and children, and uh, they're just devotionals for the day and a follow-up in terms of sharing the love of Christ as a family. And I want you to pick one of those cards up, and it'll be something for uh, to continue the conversation with your family. And then, speaking of conversation and continuing the conversation, I would love to invite any and all who are interested, as you go out these glass doors, around the pillar are, uh, are, are tables, and then there's a sign, there are different sign-ups for our different insight classes, and, and I want you to take a look at those. I also would like to draw your attention to one clipboard in one section. All it says is Philemon. All it says is Philemon. And uh, I, would, I would love to continue this conversation and have a relationship-building conversation about what we learned here today in uh, Philemon's uh, letter. And uh, I've got the fireside room reserved. You know, we've got a few people that have signed up, and that's wonderful. Uh, I don't know if we'll have a half a dozen. I don't know if we'll have a hundred. If we have a hundred, we'll spread out. We'll figure it out. Uh, there, it's going to be somewhat informal. Um, but I, I would love for I would love for all of the different cultures in our church to gather and just to begin spending time together and talking together. Um, and we'll have questions from Sunday's message to share. And it'll be, as I said, from 6.30 to 8 p.m., I'm going to make a pot of coffee. All right? And I'm going to make decaf so that I can sleep Tuesday evening. Um, um, our conversation, our spiritual conversation, and our relationship building time will, will, will go beautifully if, if when you come, you'll bring oatmeal raisin cookies, okay? Seriously, whether you make them or buy them, but a dozen oatmeal raisin cookies would, would be great. Please don't put chocolate chips in the oatmeal raisin cookies. Uh, just bring chocolate chip cookies if you must. But uh, oatmeal raisin cookies would just really, as Paul says, Refresh my heart, in, well, refresh my stomach in Christ. I, I would appreciate that uh, from all of you if you would do that. And it, it, would, it would go really well. Um, anyway, that's a, it's a request in the Lord. Although I am bold enough to command you to do what you know is required. Um, yet, for love's sake, 
I'm just, no, I'm going to, no, I need to make a command. Bring the oatmeal raisin cookies. No, I'm kidding. So, uh, but anyway, I would, I would love that. We'll, we'll see how, we've got a few of these Tuesdays scheduled throughout the series, and um, we'd like to get together this Tuesday. As I said, I, I'm not planning on teaching as much as I am, you know, if, if we have conversation groups, uh, uh, building relationships, and um, because the love of Christ changes everything, church. Okay? You know, Monday was amazing. <laughs> really, last Monday, you know, the eclipse for one day, for one day, for one moment. Americans looked up beyond themselves and beyond their problems, really. When you think about it, there was kind of a mysterious unity, if only for a moment. And, and I learned that 7% of the sun is still pretty bright. <laughs> and may we look to the Son of God in His glory and in His light, experience unity, not just for a moment, but for all eternity. 1,600 years ago, a pastor, a non-European, northern African pastor named Augustine said, Lord, by loving me, you have made me lovable. Amen.